Well, great to be here, and apparently I'm excitable. <laughs> something, something, new, learning new, something new you learn every day. Um, but genuinely, uh, pleasure to be here. I, if you don't know me yet, my name's Ben. Uh, my wife, Claire, who's out on um, TOTS this morning. Uh, we kind of founded what's become God's Central Church back in 2010, and it's so good to have you here, or so good to be listening, as Mark pointed out. Um, and I just want to echo uh, Mark's thanks for those who invested an hour yesterday in the under-16s work. Uh, I would make you stand up, but that would embarrass you. And then, and then I've got to do some more pastoral visits, which genuinely aren't there, but you do know who you are. We are deeply grateful, and uh, your pay packet will come via heaven <laughs> in a time to come, uh, nicking the line from our friends at Jubilee, who that seems to be their, their line for things, but genuinely, you know, we are called to give, uh, you know, that, that we, God is the ultimate giver of things, and uh, as, we, as we're going to look at with Solomon this morning, you know, the theme of giving and taking uh, runs deep in the Bible, and I'm so pleased to have had loads of you and co-labor. Um, back to ourselves at God Central, uh, we exist uh, as we said, to do a, a, a few things. And uh, one of the things that we exist to do... Oh, it's changing without me. Okay, I won't use the clicker. Hang on. Yeah, I have. I think Dayo's... Are you Dayo doing it as well? Ah, that's it. I double-clicked. That's the problem. We have two of us doing the same thing. Everyone give Dayo a round of applause for being on it and helping us back there. That's brilliant. Okay, so genuinely... Oh, no, hang on. Now, now he's gone mad. There we are. So, uh, let's go back to things, okay? So, e Ecclesiastes chapter 2, okay? The big question punching through this is, what are you living for? And, and it's a pretty huge question. It's one that I've sat wrestling with since, uh, since, uh, since I was young. Is, you know, what am I living for? You know, and it keeps coming back. You know, you, you think you've got it sorted, you know, and, and, then, and then the question comes back and you find yourselves in a different group of friends or a different place. And, and before you know it, you, you're getting swayed one way or the other. And it's, it's about that concreteness of, of what are you living for? And, uh, and that's where we're going to come out from today. And for us as God Central, I just wanted to start with, with referring to, to the vision God's given us which many of you will know, we call it the God Central Wheel, it's not unique, but it's about being for God, for people, and for our town and the nations, that, that we come to glorify and worship our God, we come to, to feast on his goodness, we meet together, not just Sundays, more, much more than Sundays, midweek, and then we want to see the good news, and those things, that all plays out loads in how... Uh, it's now going mad, Ben, on how we do things, okay? And, uh, and we want to we just lean into God at this time for, for real significant kingdom advance. It's like we've been in a season of transitioning where, you know, a lot of things have been going on behind the scenes. And we're just trusting at the moment that as we move, God would give us more of a heart, more of a place for our town. And we'd go there. Um, I, I want to emphasize again the midweek groups, which apparently I mention every week, but I do. And, and this, week, I have to, this week, I loved Thursday night. I really did. For me, I don't know, I just found God uh, afresh looking at, at the foundations. And, and for those of you who weren't around this week, you know, do have a look online, do it. But it talked about the kingdom of God which Ben mentioned in, in so it's a, you know, how, it's about how, how we live about a God who is, who's got a kingdom, he's got a rule, he's got an area. And then, and then the brilliance of Thursday was that it then went on to the king, how the kingdom of God affects my personal life. 
And that's really good because I need some correction and some guidance for that. And then he talked about how the kingdom of God affects my family life. And I was like, that's really cool because I'm, I'm part of the little Clark family, part of the God Central family, part of the kingdom of God family. And I wanted to do that. And then he talked about the kingdom life in, in my workplace. How actually work is a good thing. It was given by God. It's something that we do. But how we conduct ourselves there. And our group, we had, a, we had a great little chat about that. And then it talked about kingdom life in the world. How, we're, how we've got a bigger mandate than just our tiny little bit. Uh, and it's about glorifying God. And, and as I sat uh, Friday morning, uh, just trying to mull over Thursday night, I was like, the parallels between <laughs> this last week in Foundations and Ecclesiastes are huge. Because <laughs> actually, it's like Ecclesiastes does a lot of that. Do you know what I mean? Ecclesiastes tackles head-on some massive issues, you know, but by Solomon. And it talks about, you know, where we're living from, everything being meaningless if you're not in the kingdom. And I was like, yeah, this really, really does. And I, and I think the wrestles we see in Ecclesiastes, the wrestles which we talked about in midweek groups, are real. They affect you, they affect me, and they affect everyone listening. Because there is nothing new underneath the sun. <laughs> we got that out of the way in chapter 1. But as we go through life, we wrestle afresh with things because that's the adventure. That's the journey we're on. And we can learn from the wisdom of those gone before us. So we're going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes. It's not going to come up on the screen for once. Uh, so we're going to ask you to find it on your device, your Bible. If you haven't got a Bible with you, in the church Bibles, I'll give you a heads up. It's page 379. So you should, so you should be faster than Mark giggling on his phone at the front. Uh, but literally, Ecclesiastes, so if you kind of flick to about the middle of your Bible, it's going to be somewhere there. Um, just at the sort of towards the endish of the Old Testament and Ecclesiastes chapter two, and we're going to read the first eleven verses, uh, and I, I want to read them slowly because they're they're kind of there's quite a lot in here actually that we're going to unpack. We're going to read it quite a bit of the Bible this morning because I think it's going to speak very much for itself as we go. So Ecclesiastes chapter two, verses one to eleven. Uh, this is Solomon speaking. I said in my heart. Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the days of their lives. I made great works. I built houses and I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, many concubines, that's female slaves, and to the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who we were before me in Jerusalem. 
Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expanded in doing it. And behold, it was all vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Let's just pray. Father God, we're here for you this morning. Father, we thank you that you are a loving God who so desires to meet each of us. We thank you for your son Jesus, leaving the joys of heaven and coming walking this earth. We thank you for the infilling of your Holy Spirit, which comes to all who follow your name. And Father, we pray, as has already been prayed this morning, would you come empower holy spirit would your words come into our hearts would you transform us to be the men and women you call us to be father would would your kingdom the kingdom of our lord jesus christ be extended this morning in harlow and to the ends of the earth for the glory and honor of your name we ask that in the beautiful name of our lord jesus christ and everyone said everyone said okay we are there just checking okay so Pretty heavy going passage. One that I want to let just breathe a bit because there's not a lot in there that, that's going to be hard for us to understand. You know, there are some passages which need a bit of contextualization and other things, and we could do a bit of that. But this one actually speaks pretty much for itself. And uh, I was doing a bit of reading. Uh, and uh, I found a pretty good analogy, uh, which I'm just going to share with you. Uh, and, it, and it resonated with me, possibly more than you, because a lot of you will know, I, I, I teach maths. Uh, that's my kind of thing. And one of the things I love about teaching maths, I love to impart to people who, who are students or I'm working with, is, is the, the proof of things. Yeah, you know, you know, I'm one of those old fuddy-duddies who you write me an answer and I'm going to be the one tapping on your book telling me I want to see the working out. Because, because we can all get an answer, but do we understand where the answer comes from? And I think for me as a person, I'm very quick to want to grab the answer <laughs> and not do the bit. But it's the working out that's important. And, uh, and I think that, that Ecclesiastes is a book in the Bible which actually does the working out for us. You know, you know the answer is already given that life outside of God is meaningless. Okay, you know, so, so the Bible does give us the answer. It came up earlier. You know, the Bible tells us that life apart from God lacks meaning. That nothing apart from God is fully satisfying. <laughs> that life is short and that there's no time to waste. Do you mean, you know, that's, that's the teachings. And most, even people who don't follow Christianity would agree with, with, those, with those. Sorry, this is going on again. Okay, but Ecclesiastes, we see why Solomon's uh, history, you know, why the wisest fool, that's how he's referred to, the wisest fool, why he arrives at those conclusions. And, and Solomon shows us a bit of the process that he's going to go through. And, and, and I want to just say, I think Solomon's pursuit of happiness and again, yes, I know there was a film named after that, released in 2006 with Will Smith and The Broken Stop Broker. And again, interesting film with where it goes. Okay, but, but the answer of the pursuit of happiness is so relevant today because I have a lot of people and society around us has a lot of people who are just given into, 
who are driving after, experimenting with this and that to try and obtain pleasure, who are living solely for the pursuit of pleasure. And, and a lot of philosophers would call that hedonism, okay? And there's a difference between enjoying things and being really driven for them. I like to enjoy things, I really do. You know, God calls us to enjoy his creation, but not at the expense of it consuming me. You know, you know if, if I'm waking up and the only thing I'm thinking about is getting hold of the latest gadget, <laughs> I've got a problem. Do you mean, if I'm dreaming of this car or that career move, you know it's gone past normal. So, uh, so that's where we're going to come. And King Solomon, okay, let's be clear, you probably gathered from the passage, if you didn't know anything about him before, he was a man who had some stuff. You know, he had a lot of stuff. And, uh, and he had a lot of luxury. And I want to just say, putting it in a little bit of context, you and I have a lot of luxury. You, know, you, may, you may think you don't, but if you look at the span of history, and even the world today, the very fact that, that we are... In, in houses, with electricity, with all the other bits, puts us in, in the kind of luxurious part of the history of mankind. Yet we might not think that if we look next door, but history, that is a fact, that we are in a place of luxury. And, and then I found myself thinking, well, well if, if, if me and my friends and all, a lot of us, if we're in a place of luxury, then, then how, for many people that I know, are, are they stressed and depressed? Because if we've got all this luxury, all this lavish stuff, why are stress and depression such big markers in our, in our society? Not judging them, just, just a comment. And I found myself asking why. And it seems to me that, that, that in, in our society, we're coming to the same brutal, painful conclusion as history's wisest fool Solomon, that actually... Life in pursuit of things we invariably love enslaves us into those things. That, that, that we're trapped in, we're disappointed, and we have the life sucked out of us by the very things we're after. I, I, there was a really quick little article that talked about uh, how, how we, we fear things that are bad for us. That most of us have fears of things that are bad. But actually, it says the truth is that they're less likely to destroy us than the things we actually enjoy. <laughs> because we're going to throw ourselves in on some stuff and just go hot, you know, go in there. So actually, it's, it's the things that, that, that we enjoy, our comforts, our, our lavishness and those sort of things. They're the things that are bad for us, not necessarily the things that keep us up at night. And, uh, and yeah, you may think, well, that's all very well, Ben, but I'm not Solomon. You know, no, you're probably like me a few runs down the food chain of knowing everything and, and owning everything. I'm certainly well a few runs down. But the point is we still have that sort of position. And, uh, and some of the things that mark our society, and this was taken from uh, just a general bit of research from the newspapers, but, but it talked about things we voluntarily give ourselves to. Food was a big one that came up in, in, in the report. That we're, we're, a, we're a generation who, who love food to an excess. That, we're, that the alcohol usage is again on the increase. Has been through generations, not nothing new. Uh, sex, power, money all cropped up in there. Uh, loved ones. Again, again, being consumed with loved ones to, to a disproportionate amount. Work. Career status and progression in there. Pleasure and comfort. 
That, that, that apparently, apparently there are parts of our society who are, who are just, just, just into pleasure and comfort at all cost. And, uh, and people would say that they can obviously have a negative as well as a positive. Uh, so let's look at some maths uh, and explore King Solomon. Okay, because uh, I don't often get to do maths and, and, and the Bible in one session. So I'm quite looking forward to today. Um, but King Solomon, let me just set the scene. Uh, we, we know he was a king. Okay, that came out in the text. It's what Lee brought us on chapter one. And uh, as a king in those days, he ruled with complete authority. So it's not like uh, our, our queen. Do you mean, you know, this, is, this is a rulership which actually fleshes out. And no one in Solomon's kingdom would dare tell him what to do. In those days, you did that, that's not going to go well. You're not going to be around. And, and it tells us that he didn't lack any resource. Okay, so he's got total rule over things. Uh, and therefore, has unlimited use to fund his desires. <laughs> There's a few of you starting to smile. Just pause and think, what would your life be like if you could have everything and anyone you wanted? Because that's what King Solomon was faced with. Pretty big. And, and King Solomon's maths works out that that's going to be meaningless. Which seems crazy. But let's have a look at why. Okay? Uh, because what we're going to find with King Solomon is everything is totally futile. And... Uh, I found a little uh, illustration of, of futile, which, uh, which did make me chuckle. So I was trying to think, how do you really portray futile? And I came across a, a writer who had compared the effort of futile is like trying to make a snowman out of ice cream in a desert. <laughs> and, I thought, and it just made me chuckle. You know, if you're going to say it's totally futile, you're in the middle of a desert, and you're going to try and make a snowman out of ice cream. And, uh, and the, the writer, he embellished it a bit, which made it even more funny. He said, it doesn't matter what flavor the ice cream is. He said, it doesn't matter whether, whether you're making it with a scoop or a spoon. He said, it doesn't matter if you've Googled the ice cream, if you've watched a YouTube on what a snowman looks like, if you've asked your friends how to do it, if you're going to round up all the help. He said, ultimately, it is futile. It's just a waste of your time and good ice cream. And it made me chuckle. And I thought, you know, what an illustration. And, I, and if Steph's listening, maybe she can give us a little video demonstration out in a desert with some ice cream and see how it gets along. But, but you know, just a really silly, isn't it? You, you, you'd never go to a desert and start trying to scoop out ice cream. It's totally futile. And that's really where King Solomon's going to come from. So what I want to do is I want to just flesh out from the Bible what King Solomon had. Okay, like I said, this is going to be our second big passage, and then we're pretty much going to be done. Uh, so for our second passage, I'm going to go back in the Bible, so towards the front, to a book called One Kings, which is kind of a bit more of a historical of the kings of ancient Israel. And I'm going to go to One Kings chapter 10. Again, if you've got a church Bible, it's page 200. If you haven't, it's, yeah, after One Kings 9 and before One Kings 11, <laughs> somewhere there in the Old Testament. And this, again, there's some interesting words in here, but I really feel we need to understand what Solomon had access to to understand the magnitude of why he's saying it's meaningless because to a lot of us the stuff that he had you'd be you'd be thinking well how did he come to this so here we go 1 Kings 10 and we're just gonna we're just gonna pick up okay 
down at verse 14, and it's probably got a subheading about Solomon's great wealth or the magnitude of King Solomon or the treasures of King Solomon. And it's, I'll start it and then we'll go slowly and I'm going to get distracted. But it says, now the weight of gold, interesting, gold, we're not, we're not into other things, that came to Solomon in one year, so he, you know, this is just in one year, was 666 talents of gold. Okay, so that's one year, this man's a gold collector. Besides that, okay, so as well as that gold, besides that, they, were, they came from explorers and from the business of merchants and from all the other the kings of the wests and from the governors of the land. Okay, so there's, he's got gold and he's got other stuff coming from explorers and other people. Okay, King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. There's gold thing going on here. Large shields, beaten gold. 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. So they're not light. They're not like tin. They're not like a, a foil or a veneer. These are solid, solid gold shields. Okay? Uh, and he made 300 shields of beaten gold. So he, had, so he had 200 large shields, and now he's got 300 just normal shields. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, a bit extravagant here. Three miners of gold went into each shield. And the king put them in the house of the forest in Lebanon. So they're not even for an army. They're just built to kind of decorate your house. So it's a bit like he's popped to Ikea, but instead of which, he's just gone and, gone and loaded up with masses of gold and had it hand-beaten. The king also made a great ivory throne. So obviously, we know ivory, really expensive, comes from tusks. So it talks about, that again, not an easy-to-come-by resource. And, and having made, you know, you'd have thought the great ivory throne, that'd be good. But no, he overlaid it with the finest gold again. So there's a theme going on here. We've got a very expensive throne, but that's not enough. We're going to cover it in gold. And then, it's a nice big throne. The throne has six steps. So to get up to it, it's like you're going up to a podium. Do you know what I mean? We're really making a big statement here. And at the back of the throne was a calf's head. And on each side of the seat were armrests and two lions standing beside the armrests, while 12 lions stood there, one on each end of the step, on the six steps. So it's, this is just like, it's beyond just a normal throne. It's extravagant. And the like of it was never made in any kingdom. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. There's a falling on here. Do you know what I mean? You know, no Tupperware, no plastic for the kids, all gold. Okay? And all the vessels in the house of the Forest of Lebanon were pure gold. So everything in the house was made of gold. None were silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. Let me just read that again, yeah? Because this is the Bible, yeah? Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. You're getting the extravagance of this. For the king had a fleet of ships, of course he did, of Tarshish at sea, with the fleet at Hiram. So actually he's got two fleets coming from different places. Once every three years, the fleets of ships from Tarshish used to come bringing gold, obviously, and silver, although that was worthless, ivory, apes, and peacocks. I don't want to get into the apes and peacocks, but you kind of, you can do your own research. But you get the idea that he's got a regular supply of the finest stuff coming in. It's on clockwork. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth. So, you know, you can go to the British Museum, you can do your history, but King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. Obviously, the wisdom was given from God. And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Every one of them brought 
He's present. Oh, it's lovely. We've come to see him because he's, you know, try and fit it amongst the shields, uh, amongst all the other vessels. Just hope you haven't brought silver because that may not go down well. Okay, but you bring your, your present. Articles of silver, gold, garments, myrrh, spices, horses. Oh, we're getting to some livestock here. Mules. So much year by year. It's just like an ever-ending Christmas where you're just one, waiting what you're going to unwrap. Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. Gathered, by the way. You know, just didn't, didn't build, didn't get them. You know, he just collects them. You know, a bit like stamps. He had 1,400 chariots. I mean, you know, why? <laughs> Do you mean you can only be in one, surely? You know, it's a different one for each day of the week, each day of the year, for four years. 12,000 horsemen. I mean, that's, that's huge for the times. Whom he stationed in the chariot cities with the king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stone. Gives an idea of the wealth. Silver is as common as stone. And he made cedar, that's obviously one of the really luxurious woods, okay, as plentiful as sycamore of Shepler. So basically, cedar really sought after wood. Same analogy. Gold being, um, sorry, silver being as common as stone, really posh wood being just imported and used for everything. And Solomon's import of horses. So he didn't even just like breeding them. No, he wanted to collect the best. So he got them from Egypt and Kew, and the king's traders received them from Kew at a price. A chariot could be imported from Egypt for 600 shekels. Okay, remember he had 1,400 of those. Okay, <laughs> and a horse for 150. So that through the king's traders, they were exported to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. I'll leave it there. And I'm going to obviously pick up some of that. But just a different level of extravagance than, than anything we've got. You know, we look around our world and yeah, there are billionaires and there are other things. But this guy was just head and shoulders in wealth above. Just pick out some of the, some of the key things here. Do you know what I mean? You know, I've put in, in my notes, Solomon tried in his pursuit of meaning to try laughter by being entertained. We do that in our society. Of, of using wine, alcohol, we use it in our society. Of, of, of having pure gold, ex expensive things. doesn't have to be gold in our society, it's materials or whatever else is there. He built up incredible real estate. Sound familiar with, with a lot of people? Collecting properties, not on Monopoly. <laughs> built massive palaces. Had private gardens to go with them. Had a personal staff of between 10 and 30,000 people just waiting on him. That's an entourage. He had the equivalent of his own private zoo with, with, with creatures brought in as he wanted. Do you know what I mean? He had 12,000 horses. He had chariots. He had his own army. <laughs> uh, the silver just being worthless says so much. You know, he had on-demand performances from favourite artists from around the globe brought in to perform in his palace while he sits on his ivory gold-covered throne. It's, it's listed that he had a thousand wives. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Female slaves on top of that. That's, that's above rock star fame in terms of the sexual gratification that was available there. He's reckoned to have had the highest IQ <laughs> of his time with wisdom that he'd gone for. He had a great insight into things. He had a job he liked and the power to do what he wanted. 
And he did all of that while sat in his palace, which had been built to his speck on his throne. With the hand-carved lions and other bits around. Honestly, would you be happier if you could have your version of that life? Because Solomon says no. Solomon effectively says he worshipped himself. It comes through in the text. You know, there's, there's those little bits about building huge homes for myself. You know, I had everything. I became greater. I had anything I wanted to take. There's a self-centeredness that, that, that he, he's quite happy there. And as we started with, it points out that Solomon was just a taker of things. Didn't give. He was at the center of his own universe. And he became miserable because, because he was just doing his own stuff. And it became empty. You know, Jesus, who had come much later, but spoke in, in Acts 20, verse 35, and Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. How Solomon probably <laughs> would have been dying to have had that knowledge in, in full incarnation in his time. You know, it talks about why God is the most blessed person, because our God gives good gifts to his people. He's always looking to do good. That Solomon tried to find meaning by gathering anything and everything, whereas we know that life is found in God. And life apart from God will run to an end. What the end looks like is different. You know, you, it proves that you can have a full fridge, a full house, a full, full closet, full bank account, a full anything, and yet have an empty soul. There's a, a little bit of, if, if this works and doesn't click on, and I've got off it, this, this here is massive. That everything minus God equals nothing. Everything you can ever have minus God is nothing. Oh, it's doing the click forward thing, isn't it? And nothing plus God equals everything. Gene, that, that's the maths. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm going to get a positive and a minus sign in it and two equals, which means they're equations. Okay? Everything, see, if you haven't got God, it's meaningless. That's what Solomon's going to come to. And if you've got nothing, so long as you've got God, you've got everything. The issue is not what we have. The issue is where we stand with God. You know, that Solomon had everything in the world's eyes, but lacked. Hence the meaningless, hence the vanity, hence it's there. Hence, this is the Bible condensed. It's the proof of, well, you know, you go and talk to the street. Ben, if I had money, he had money. Ben, if I had possessions, he had possessions. Ben, if I had a family, he had, he had a family. Ben, if, if I had, he had good health. If I had respect, he had it. Meaningless, without God. It's, like, it's such a powerful book. You know, and, as, and as Christians today, we need to learn something from this. Because the, <laughs> there, are, there are theologies, so outworkings of Christian that tell us, you know, that, that, if, that poverty theology tells us that joy comes from having less. That it's always good to give away. <laughs> Prosperity theology tells us it's always good to, to gather and actually, the truth on earth is that, that while Jesus walked on this earth, he was poor and had very little, and yet today is in heaven and very rich. <laughs> it's not about that. It's, a, it's, about, it's about God. 
It's about being caught up in him. That throughout the Bible, there are joyful people who had nothing and there are joyful people who had everything. The common thing is, they had God. There are miserable people with nothing. There are miserable people with great bank accounts. <laughs> the common thing is, they haven't got God. It's, it's the centrality of God that matters. Paul, who we've looked at, you know, the Apostle Paul wrote to, wrote to Timothy, his son, his disciple, in 1 Timothy 6, 6, and said, true godliness with contentment is in itself great wealth. Suggest, guys, get that one highlighted in your Bible. True godliness with contentment is in itself great wealth. That our treasure is in him. It's not in the rest of the stuff. You know, with wealth, yeah, you can buy things. That's cool. Okay, but wealth cannot purchase you contentment. Nothing purchases contentment. That's precisely why God had to send his son to leave heaven to come to earth. Because without it, there would always be a void. And in the end, there's going to be a huge difference between stuff and satisfaction. <laughs> that a life well lived won't have necessarily have stuff, but it will have satisfaction. And to quote the Rolling Stones, which I found a theologian do, we can't get no satisfaction. And it always likes me when I'm reading biblical books and there's people putting little quotes in. But how true. You know, I can't get no satisfaction. You can in God. And let me let be clear, he is most satisfied with you because he looks at you through Jesus if you choose to follow him. And so, and so as, as the band want to start coming back up and we start coming into land, let's be clear, really, really clear that, that all the stuff we've read about today, and you're going to go home saying, you know, if someone asks you, what do you do at church yesterday? Well, we read about this really rich guy who had this really, really long load of stuff. <laughs> and I don't really care if you remember any of that. All I want you to remember is life without God is meaningless. Because it's not about the stuff today. It's not about which verse we went to. You know, it's about how God sees us. I was, uh, I was sharing breakfast with Amelia this morning and, uh, and uh, she was flicking through my Bible and she was like, Dad, you've written on this bit. Why have you put key? <laughs> I said, because that's what it matters about, honey. Do you know what I mean? That's what it matters about. And, and the key bit that she pointed in my Bible was, was 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. If you've met me out on Welcome, it's where she just found it on her little Bible app that we've got her. And 1, 16, 7, uh, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, sorry, says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his outward appearance. This is where he's looking at uh, the little boy David who would become king. Do not look on his outward appearance or the height or his stature. Because I reject him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. There should be an amen to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's not about what your key's going to open to get you home. And I've got no problem with whatever car you have, as long as you know God <laughs> and you live according to his will. I've got no worries whether you're, whether you're iOS, Apple, or Android. So long as you know God, it doesn't matter. Whether we're Sainsbury's or Mark's got a problem with that one. Whether you're Sainsbury's Tesla, it doesn't matter. Do you mean that they're secondary issues, people? <laughs> Are our names written in God's hands? Does God really come first? Does God really come first? You know, I've learned a couple of things about tech. And tech is Google will now give you a timeline. Where you've been, how long you've been doing stuff for. Scary. <laughs> does, is God first or does my Google timeline differ? <laughs> yeah, I found also that on, on Apple, they do an app time thing, screen time. Again, 
Yeah, God, you're first. Oh, no, hang on, I've been on. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're just little checks. <laughs> we live God first. Solomon tells us some of that is fruitless, some of it's meaningless. Let's just finish, though, with, with some real truth that fills us up. Because the God of heaven calls us each day to follow him, to embrace him, to go on mission with him, to see his kingdom, his name and his renown established firmly in our hearts and across our wonderful town. You know, Jesus himself said in John 10.10, 10, Yeah, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus Christ, have come that you may have life and life in its fullness. That's what we're called to, the fullness of life in God. Elsewhere in the Bible, going back to the Apostle Paul, uh, Romans 8, chapter 1, massively well known. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you've chosen to follow God, God cheers you off. He loves us. He embraces us. You know, John 3, 16, possibly the best known Bible verse in the world. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not die, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Meaningless to meaning. That when Jesus died and rose again, John 8 verse 36 says, So if the son has set you free, you are free indeed. Free to enjoy God. Psalm 139 tells us, you are fearfully and wonderfully made by the God of this universe. Perfect in his sight. Perfect for the plans he has for you. You're not a mistake. Every feature of you, every character trait is is made by the creator of all. And he loves you and delights in you this morning and calls you to embrace in him. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10 verse 31 says this so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do it for the glory of God and that's that's my heart my commission to you is whatever we're doing live for God embrace God everything else will crash he will never fail you He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. But there is a hope, there is a plan, there is a purpose. Wherever you're sat there thinking, yeah, 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 trust him. Take a a, a nudge towards him and see that the Lord is good. That the Lord is good. And we're going to close there. So if you could just quietly close your eyes. We're just going to pray. And then we're going to just see where God takes us. We're going to take up communion in a minute. But I I really felt that God wanted to speak to to several of us about just a fresh aligning. Not a heavy, you've done, you've cracked, no, 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 no. Just a loving. Come with me. Focus more on me. Trust me and put me first just a little bit more. And as we just fix our eyes back on God, I just want to ask you, you know, just you need to respond to God in your way along those lines. But I strongly sense for many of us, myself included, that God would just be reminding us again of how and why we exist of just 
No, Ben, you don't need to worry about that this afternoon. It's all good. It's not bad. But just make sure I'm the main thing. You know, none, of, none of the stuff we've talked about in itself is wrong. It's when it takes the wrong position. And I feel God would just lovingly be realigning some of us and just nudging us. Yeah, Father God, just come and meet dear friends this morning. But it's about you. It's not about us needing to do stuff. I just sense God is here. Holy Spirit, just minister to people where we're sat.